Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Well, thanks so much to all of you who've been joining us on the Hope Through Hard Stuff journey. We're a couple months into this podcast experiment and are grateful for your support and that you're sharing these episodes and conversations with people that you care about. Today, I wanted to have a conversation about what I call broken blueprints, which is what do you do when your dreams for your family aren't turning out the way that you had planned? About 15 years ago, when our oldest daughter was two, we thought that it would be fun for Easter to buy a bunny cake. And the bunny cake came in a three-dimensional mold. So you, you made both halves of the bunny. It kind of like came in, in spheres, like it was split down the middle. And then you were supposed to frost them together. So when the cake was done, you had a, a, a 3D bunny that was sitting upright on your Easter table. And so we followed the instructions. We slathered frosting on it. And it, we, thought, we thought that it looked really good. Unfortunately, we had misjudged the density and the weight of the frosting that we had used. And as soon as we were done, in slow motion, the bunny started to bow its head as if it was praying. In even slower motion, to our great horror, the bunny's head just lopped right off. It severed from the top of the neck all the way through. And so the kids are screaming because the bunny self-decapitated and what was supposed to be a moment (laughs) of joy and beauty uh, was one of uh, momentary and later pretty hilarious terror. And the question that I've been wrestling with these days is, is what happens when you aim to create something beautiful and you get something broken? What happens when you follow the blueprints and your house or home looks less than picture perfect? What do you do when you follow the steps for the ideal family image and then things start to unravel? And today I want to invite you to look at the story of a family who is asking some of the same questions. And I want to ask you to ask yourself, what, what can we learn from their experience? About 3,500 years ago, the people of ancient Israel were living in chaos. Their ancestors were led out of slavery in Egypt by Moses into a promised land. But it doesn't take long for the people to lose their way. And as a consequence, God allows neighboring countries to invade and oppress them. And when the people get desperate, they ask God for help. And he sends a leader, or in Bible terms, a judge, to save them. And this is where we pick up the story. It is written in Judges chapter 13. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. And the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Verse 24, chapter 13, it says, The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit in the Lord of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtol. And we fast forward to where Samson is, we think, a late adolescent. Judges chapter 14 says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. And his father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? 
must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Like, do you have, do you have to go across the tracks? Do you, do you have to cross a cultural and religious border? Do you have to violate all of our family traditions and rules to make yourself happy? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. And his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. So Samson goes to Timnah for a version of a Philistine bachelor party. The town chooses 30 men to be his groomsmen. And Samson gives them a riddle to answer by the end of the seven-day festival. He says, if you can solve it, I'll give you 30 sets of clothes. Each one of you will get a new outfit. If you can't solve it, you owe me 30 sets of clothes. Now, remember, like back in ancient times, people may have only had one or two actual outfits. So to expand your wardrobe by one set of clothes uh, was a momentous occasion. Uh, so this is this is not a, this is not a cheap ask. This is kind of a significant gamble that Samson is inviting his new acquaintances to make. So on the fourth day of the festival, they can't figure it out, and they're running out of time. So they put pressure on his new bride. They say, "Give us the answer, or we'll kill you and your family." So on the seventh day, Samson tells her, and at sundown, because she's told them, they come up with the right answer. The story continues. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, which is about 30 miles away, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife, of just hours or days, was given to one of his companions who, was, who had attended him at the feast. So you can imagine the turmoil that these events are putting Samson's parents through. His choices as a young adult aren't a good look for his family. They're rejecting his parents. It, Samson is rejecting his parents' wisdom, his community traditions, and his faith. So if you're Samson's parents, if you are his unnamed mother or his father named Manoah, what do you do? How do you process that disappointment? How do you hold that heartache? And there are some of us today who could identify with Samson's parents more than we want to. We have adolescent children. We have young adult children. We have adult adult children who are making decisions that are not, not the things that we've taught them to do. Maybe decisions that, that we know from our own experience that there's, there, there's only going to be heartbreak on the other side of those decisions. So what do we do? What do we do when the, when the blueprints start to break down? I want to offer three suggestions. And the first is this, is that we take time to grieve the loss. The first step in dealing with disappointment is to, is to lean into that hurt. Anytime there's a loss, a loss of a dream, a loss of a relationship, a loss of a loved one, there, there is real grief. And fortunately, the scriptures offer us a gift in, in the Psalms, which are these Psalms of lament. It is, it is language that tells God, ourselves, and anyone who's listening into our internal dialogue, th this is not the way this was supposed to go. Psychologist Susan David wrote a book called Emotional Agility, and she tells about how when her son was an infant, they took him to the pediatrician to get some, 
some vaccination injections. And she said that when her son got the shot, he immediately started to wail. And instinctively, as a mother, she drew him close and started to pat him and said, it's okay, it's okay. And a very wise nurse who was in the room at the time looked at her and she said, it's not okay, but it will be. And I think that sometimes the Psalms of Lament allow us to say, it's, it's not okay. And, and no amount of me rationalizing it or no amount of comfort from friends or no amount of me reading inspirational verses or bumper stickers will necessarily make it okay. But I'm, I'm trusting God with the not okay part of this moment, believing that he redeems all things. There's nothing worse than watching your kids hurt. And because their pain is painful, we can often get tempted to try to fast forward through it. So I'm recording this in the spring of 2022, so COVID started about two years ago, and some of us are still realizing how many things we lost in the middle of that journey, that we lost school learning opportunities, we lost sports events, we lost travel, we had to skip through celebrations, we missed trips and milestones and friendships and moments, and some of us still feel like we haven't fully gotten back to normal. And we've forgotten to, to grieve those moments. Pete Doctor, who's a film director for the Pixar studio, said, Sorrow is the listening emotion. It helps us listen to our hearts and listen to each other. And sometimes when we're dealing with deep disappointment as a family, we forget to lean into the sorrow. We forget to surrender to the sorrow and say, God, what... What do we need to learn about us, about you, about life from this pain? Later in the scriptures, when a friend of Jesus by the name of Lazarus dies, John, who recorded this story, said that Jesus wept. Jesus wept with Lazarus' family. And when you're hurting, it's important to be reminded that Jesus weeps with you and your family too. So if the first suggestion for dealing with the deep disappointment of a family heartache is to grieve the loss, then maybe the second suggestion is to pray for protection. See, in the early years of parenting, we can manipulate variables in our children's lives to keep them safe. Child safety is a billion-dollar industry. We've got car seats and seat belts, and we can dictate when and where kids can play outside. But as they get older, it is harder and harder to manipulate the circumstances to protect them. And and I, I wonder if Samson's parents were praying for him to be protected from himself. Because Samson clearly has some impulse control issues. Obviously, he made a poor choice of a fiance in this story that we just read. Later, we'll find out that he spent some time consorting with a prostitute, which is, again, clearly against the guidelines that were outlined by his religious and spiritual traditions. If you know the full story of Samson, you know that he has an encounter with this woman named Delilah who ends up making his life completely and totally miserable. So if I'm Samson's parents, I'm I'm praying that he would be protected from himself. I have a very vivid memory of my father when I was in high school. I'm the I'm the fifth of six kids and I I like to joke sometimes. I think my parents just ran they just they just ran out of stamina. Uh, when they got to kids to five and six, and we, I, my other other siblings like to joke that I had way way fewer um, boundaries and regulations than they had to deal with. But I remember having a 
having a curfew in high school that was was pretty relaxed. And I also know that because five of the six kids in our family were all over the age of 16 and my parents necessarily didn't have the the leverage over the ones who were in college or the ones who were out of the house. But I, I remember walking into our home. We had this two-story brick colonial. And so we would park the car in the driveway, would walk in the front door and then take a right-hand turn to go up the stairs uh, to where all the bedrooms were on the second level. But to the left of the entryway was our living room. And I remember walking in late one Saturday night or super early one Saturday morning. And out of the corner of my left eye, I saw the image of my father who was asleep on his knees on the couch in the living room. And it was as if he was saying to God, Lord, I can't control where my kids are and what my kids are doing. But I'm concerned for their physical safety and for their spiritual and emotional well-being. Will you lead them? Will you guide them? Will you guard and protect them? So if you're if you're stuck and you feel like your kids are beyond the reach of your protection, pray that God would protect them from themselves and pray that God would protect them from despair and pray that God would protect you from fear. And be reminded that walking in his love leads us towards kindness and grace and truth and patience. See, as parents, our ultimate call is to bless our children and to release them. And we could do that when we walk in faith and confidence. But if we're not careful, we could get stuck living in fear. And instead of blessing and releasing, we get tempted to shame and shelter our children, which isn't good for them, and it's not good for us. So when you're stuck, take some time to grieve the loss. Take some time to pray for protection. And then take some time to ask for insight. If you can't think of any other prayer to pray, pray this one. God, please show me what I can't see. And that prayer might not get answered for months or years. Well, sometimes our children are the answers to those prayers. We have a tradition with our kids where from when they were very young, I would tuck them in before they went to bed, and, and some of them still let me do that for them. And I remember a few years ago, I was tucking our children in, each one by name, and we've, we've tried to give them names that speak to their identity and their and their destiny. So our son Josiah, which is a name that's pulled out of the scripture, I refer to him as strong king. So one night I was tucking him in and I was like, hey, Joe, never forget that you're a strong king. And as I turned away and walked towards the door, he asked me a question that I'll never forget. He said, hey, dad. I go, yeah, buddy. He goes, who does God say you are? And it caught me off guard because I had been going through a challenging time uh, professionally and I needed to be reminded that God said that I was his beloved, that I belonged to him, that he wants good for me. And sometimes that meant walking paths that I wouldn't choose for myself. We moved to West Michigan from the east side of the state about five years ago. And uh, my wife Kelly and I were, were pretty nervous. Uh, we'd spent our entire married life in the Detroit area. All of our kids were born there. Our church was there. Our friends were there. Our jobs had been there. And we were, we were pretty rattled about kind of pulling up the stakes and starting from scratch. And at that time, our daughter, who was 11, she she very wisely said, she goes, hey, mom and dad, I think I'm ready for an adventure. And that was uh, kind, of a, kind of a nudge that was helpful to us to know that maybe we were moving in the right direction. Sometimes you don't know why God is doing something until well after the fact. 
I remember about six years ago, I applied for a job at what I had always thought was my dream organization. In fact, I think I had applied for maybe five jobs there over the course of 20 years. And this was a job that actually felt like it could have been a, a good fit. But for whatever reason, uh, they took a pass. And I remember telling Kelly, I have no idea why that happened. And she said, Steve, I just have this gnawing sense that God is protecting us from something. And sure enough, that organization went through no small amount of turmoil about four years later. And we realized that if we had moved our family to that city, we would have had to be moving them again, which is, again, not something that's insurmountable. It was something that we didn't exactly know how we we're going to make that work. And so sometimes you just don't, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, we can't see what God already sees. And as we were getting ready to make our move, a friend and mentor of mine said, Steve, the prayer that you should pray is, God, show me what you want me to know. And I realized that in those moments, what I didn't know is that God loved my kids more than I do. And God could see the whole picture. And God could see blessings on the other side of that move that I could not see. Not long ago, I heard a story of a father by the name of David Eubank who is raising his kids in a combat zone in Asia. He's a former special forces officer uh, whose daughter assists him in driving an ambulance on rescue missions. And he said, I don't want to be driven by fear or comfort. And I'm realizing that that's the great temptation for me as I lead my family and maybe for you as you lead yours, that the ultimate goal, that the destination is for us to have a safe, beautiful, and accomplished family living a comfortable and convenient life together. But God wants more. God is calling us to a life of fierce faith and bold love. I'm reminded of the story of Jonah where Jonah said, hey God, I will follow you as long as things turn out this way. Uh, Jonah said, sure, I'll go ahead and preach to my enemies as long as you judge them and destroy them. Well, God doesn't do that. And when God doesn't do what Jonah wants him to do, Jonah says, God, I'm so angry with you. I'm so angry that I could die. And God said, Jonah, you're more concerned about your comfort than you are about the community of people that I'm trying to redeem and restore. And it's often comforting to me, especially uh, having just celebrated Easter not all that long ago, to hear to hear the story of Jesus saying, Lord, if, if I have an option to not drink this cup, if I have an option to take a, a path around the cross rather than through it, that's the option that I would prefer. But then in a moment of clarity and surrender, he says, if the only way to get to the other side of the cup is to drink it, then that's what I'm going to do. So if your family journey isn't turning out the way that it wanted to, or if you feel like God isn't holding up on his end of the bargain, or if you believe that your kids aren't doing the things that you had, had hardwired them to do or told them to do or encouraged them to do or shamed them to do, and now it feels like the wheels are coming off, don't be afraid. Remind yourself that God sees what you cannot and maybe the only prayer that you can be praying this week is, God, will you show me what I can't see? And will you give me grace to persevere? So if your family's going through a hard time, I want to I pray for you now. Just remind you that God, God is for you and that God wants growth and healing and maturing for your kids. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the families that are 
listening into this conversation today. I spoke to one this last week who's just whose heart is a mom whose heart is breaking because she's got a teenage child who's making decisions that she knows at her core aren't right for her. So God, where where there are children in our lives whose hearts are hard, or parents in our lives whose hearts are hard, or siblings whose hearts are hard, Lord, I pray that you would turn those hearts first towards you, and ultimately that you would turn those hearts towards one another. We're reminded of the words of the prophet who said that the person who comes before Jesus is the person who wants to turn the hearts of children to parents and the hearts of parents to children. So God, sometimes even unconsciously, we're so committed to our own agenda that we we can't see another way. We can't see another beautiful, mysterious, profound way that you shape us into a family who looks more like you together than we did before. So Lord, I pray that you would walk with us through the heartache. I pray that you would be glorified even in our suffering and that our suffering would lead us to perseverance Our perseverance would lead us into character, and our character would lead us into hope. God, remind us that this is a marathon and not a sprint. Give us courage to take the long view on our parenting journeys, and remind us that you are constantly at work in the lives of our kids, even when we can't see it. We pray these things in your name. Amen. If we at Winning at Home can be praying for you and your family, please uh, reach out to us. You can connect to us online. You can email me directly, steve at winningathome.com, and we would love to be praying with and for you. Again, the reason that we're doing this podcast is because we don't need additional reminders to know that life is hard, but we need people who can walk through that hardship with us to give us hope and courage and tenacity. So thanks again for being a part of the conversation And uh, we look forward to catching you next time. Thanks so much. God bless. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.